how do we know that thing we saw one of our farm dogs do is a consistent behavior or just a one-off random event? To be sure, we need more opportunities to observe the dog in the same situation. Having thousands of lambs and dozens of livestock guardian dogs makes for a bigger sample, as does a day-in, day-out threat from black-headed buzzards. Welcome to Farm Dog. This is Farm Dog, the podcast about the working dogs of farming, ranching, homesteading, and rural living. Farm Dog is presented by Goats on the Go, a national network of independent business owners who provide sustainable weed and brush control for their customers using goats. Want to put goats to work on your vegetation problem? Interested in launching your own goat grazing business? The place to start is goatsonthego.com. Hi everyone, Aaron Steele here, host of Farm Dog. Just a couple of housekeeping notes before we get going. First, as always, if you enjoy this content, would you please help us out by leaving a rating or review in your podcast app? That is especially helpful for us and especially easy to do for you if you listen on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. You can provide those ratings or reviews right in the app. Also, I would call your attention to farmdogpodcast.com. If you'd like to leave us some more detailed feedback, perhaps a comment or on a previous episode, a future topic recommendation, or a question, you can do that at farmdogpodcast.com. You can even leave us a voice note if you like. There is an audio recorder on that website, so you can talk directly to us. And if you're willing to do that, we may use your recording as part of a future episode. So please reach out to us at farmdogpodcast.com. And finally, I want to call your attention to Goats on the Go. You heard the promo at the beginning of the podcast, just like you do on every episode. But this is an important time of year for our business, Goats on the Go and Sheep on the Go, uh, where we train new affiliates coming into our affiliate network. Goats on the Go and Sheep on the Go is a network of about 60 plus local businesses all across the country, all operating under the Goats on the Go brand to provide vegetation control to customers with sheep and goats right where they live. If you would be interested in making more money from your sheep or goat herd, we would love to talk to you about launching your own independently owned business right close to where you live. We have a training and conference coming up on March 3rd and 4th. There is still time to get you signed on as a Goats on the Go affiliate to to attend that fantastic training and to start down the road of launching your own business with a ton of help and support from our company. You can find more information about our affiliate program at goatsonthego.com. Thank you so much for being here and listening. And with that, we'll get on to the interview. Welcome to Farm Dog. I'm your host, Aaron Steele. I'm so glad you joined us today. And um, I'm excited to tell you that I am joined by Austin Troyer. Austin is with Crossroads Land and Livestock in uh, New Philadelphia, Ohio, which is East Central Ohio. He has a fascinating operation and um, some history that I want to have you hear about. Um, And he is a big proponent of livestock guardian dogs. So we're going to get deep into that. But first, Austin, just tell us a little bit about where uh, about yourself, how you came to be a farmer. Um, You've got a fantastic website. And in looking at that website, I learned something interesting, which is you are a first generation farmer. 
And as I look at you on Zoom right now, I see your background is literally thousands of sheep. So that in itself is going to be an interesting story. So tell us about your background and how, how you came to be um, the owner of Crossroads Land and Livestock. And then also just tell us about where your farm is situated and, and what it's like so our audience can get a picture of where your dogs are working. Uh, sure, Aaron. Thanks, thanks for the opportunity to be here. Looking forward to it and the conversation. Um, yeah, we are uh, first generation guys uh, here in East Central Ohio. Like Aaron said, um, we uh, lease a bunch of strip mine ground. Um, we're running about forty four hundred acres. Um, it's split into three different farms, and um, it's it's a pretty steep, rough country. It's kind of the ground nobody else wants. The the fertile um, bottom ground in the valleys is is all um, corn and beans. It's all the row crop guys. And then, uh, we are just up in the hills above that where they, they, uh, pulled all the coal out of the, out of these hills and, and strip mined it. Um, and when they reclaim it, um, there's a pretty good opportunity for us to go in and, and pasture what they've, what they've mined with these little hair sheep. So, um, that's kind of the, the terrain. Um, it, it is pretty steep and pretty poor. Um, uh, we got a, a lot of, um, areas that have one to two inches of topsoil, and uh, it doesn't grow a lot of feed. Uh, we kind of say the the strength of our operation is we grow a tremendous amount of low quality feed. Um, so uh, we we started as a cattle operation a couple of years ago and um, tried to make it work with cows. And it was uh, on years when the markets were up, it was it was good and it was uh, you could pay the bills and have a little extra. But years when it was down, um, we were sweating and uh, decided to give these little hair sheep a try and. Uh, just they brought in some sheep and they just did really well here. Um, they uh, use this steep terrain. They don't need near the water that, that the cattle do. And uh, they, they do really well on our low quality feed and all of the, the forbs and the weeds that we can't go in and brush all because uh, these, you know, some of this stuff is really, really steep. So that, that's kind of the overview of us. Um, we, we are typically grazing year round and, uh, we're just far enough. We can, we don't get a ton of snow in the winter time, so we don't feed a lot of hay. We're just kind of a low input producer. Um, we don't have a lot of labor. We're pretty hands off with the sheep. Um, we pretty much let them work for themselves. We don't, we don't doctor a whole lot. We don't, uh, lambing season comes around and, and we're, the sheep are on their own, basically. Uh, we're, nobody's allowed in the lambing field kind of a thing. Um, so we try to stay as low input as we can, uh, especially being first generation. We don't have equipment we don't have facilities um and are always <laughs> just strapped for capital we're starting something like this so uh keeping those inputs low has been a, a a really important thing for us to try to do yeah that's excellent thanks for that background and the the breed of sheep that you're running or the the cross that you're running sure um i'll run any hair sheep as long as they are one i can buy them for a good value um that my preferred breed is a uh I should say the breed that's done the best for us has been a uh, St. Croix cross with a Dorper. Um, the St. Croix have been extremely hardy and really parasite resistant, um, but a lot in carcass. So when we take that maternal trait and we cross it with like a Dorper, um, something with a much higher carcass quality, uh, it makes a really nice cross. So you kind of still get the low input hardiness of a St. Croix. Um, but you add a lot of value, carcass value with, with a dorper. So that, that first generation cross has been a really nice cross for us. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, thank you for that. So if the the background behind your Zoom call here is any indication, um, you are, a, you know, there it's a mixed forest cover and open pasture kind of environment. And that's that says to me predators, you know, the, all sorts of predators, perhaps. So uh, when did you start including livestock guardian dogs in your operation? Did you did they go out there with the very first sheep that arrived or did you have to learn a couple of lessons before you started getting into into the lgds uh no they they uh they came on the trailer with the sheep from from day one uh we we spent a lot of time here deer hunting and, and other things like that and we always see coyotes and we, we know we'll go coyote hunting and um we have coyotes and uh gray fox red fox bobcats um all those kind of critters and and I just said, if we're going to get into the sheep deal and do it right, we're just going to start right from day one. Um, and I, it's been amazing how well the dogs have done. Uh, we just we just absolutely don't have predator problems with things like coyotes. Um, the, the only issues we have had are with black-headed buzzards. And um, they, I didn't even know about them before we got into sheep, but um, they, they are a little bit smaller than the typical red-headed buzzard. And they are nasty buggers. Um, they will kill a lamb in no time. Um, and we've had them bad. We've had a lot of them. And the guard dogs worked their tail off. And what we learned quick or what we learned early on was you need a lot of dogs to cover big fields because what would happen is is these these buzzards would find some lambs and they would go and they would go land on a lamb and try to kill it. And the dogs would go chasing that buzzard. Well, if we run a 200 acre field, they would just fly over the hill and get another one. So, um, what we, what we learned was we either had to keep our dogs or we have to either keep a lot of dogs and let them spread out so they can cover the ewes, or we got to keep our sheep really tight. So the first year we lost a couple lambs. It wasn't bad, but then as we scaled our sheep operation, um, we just decided to go with more dogs. So last year, um, lambing season came and we had 17 dogs with the flock of sheep. There was 1,100 ewes in that group and we had 17 dogs with them. And it was, it was pretty good. I'm sure we still lost a lamb or two to black-headed buzzards, but um, it wasn't significant. And, it, you know, there's always, the way we land, there's always something that's, you know, there's always a couple of dead lambs laying around. And, and that's, that is the trip, the, the, the downside to it, the way we lamb is, you know, you do have dead lambs and that does nothing but bring in more buzzards and more coyotes. So doing this without dogs, it would be a wreck. Right. All right. So I've got so many questions I want to ask you. It's hard to know where to start, but let's let's start with lambing a little bit more. So you said you take a, a very hands-off approach to lambing. You just stay out of the lambing area entirely, pretty much. Um, and so how are you able to observe how the dogs interact with the predators, in particular the black-headed buzzards, and know whether you need to, you know, up the number of, of dogs in a particular area or reduce the size of the enclosure, the size of the pasture. What, what made you think, hey, maybe we can solve this black-headed buzzard problem by adding more dogs? Um, it was just observing. Um, when, when we are lambing and we're trying to stay out of there, um, I will still watch very closely from a distance. And because we have some really big hills around, uh, a lot of times we'll get up on a steep ridge and sometimes even take a spotting scope and just sit there for two hours in the in the, in the evening. Excuse me, and um, 
just watch the sheep and just watch the buzzards, watch the dogs. Are, are they barking? Um, is there an area of the field that there's a bunch of sheep and there's no dogs? Um, is there, um, are there buzzards landing on and killing live lambs? Are they just cleaning up the dead ones? Um, the other thing I like to do um, as far as from a distance would be, it's kind of fun to do, but if if you if we're on one of those big hills and the dogs don't know we're there, we'll take like a fox pro collar and howl like coyotes, and it's just really cool to see those dogs light up. I mean, it it you don't want to do that if if you don't know the dogs because they are coming, and they'll all just go crazy, start barking at you and run up to you, and then they see it's me, and they're then they're all excited to see me. I'll give them a treat or something, but it's uh, if you didn't know the dogs, you nobody is going in my landing field. Um, the dogs definitely know strangers, and they know they know me, um, so I I can get away with that. But yeah, to answer your question, as far as how do you know if you have enough? Honestly, it's just to, it's just to sit there and watch. Um, the first couple of years, I don't think we had enough, and we had our sheep in too big of an area. So the first couple of years, we didn't add dogs; we just tightened our sheep up, and we used a lot more poly wire, um, used some poly netting, and moved the sheep every day, um, kind of slowly, so you weren't disturbing them, but kept the group really close together so the dogs could cover it easily. Um, and now we can't do that because we're, you know, we're, we're going to land in groups of 1200 at a time. So it's hard to, it's hard to move that big of a group every day. Mm-hmm. So at this point, the scale has just brought on, we just need more dogs. Right. Uh, but the bulk of your, your ewe flock is in that one herd there. You're, you're not in multiple pastures at the same time, or are you during lambing? It's, it's one. Yeah, correct. It, it's one group per farm. So if we have like the home farm where I'm at right now, um, we'll have, we'll lamb. Well, last year we lambed about 1400 ewes here, but they're all in together. They're in one group. And that we had, we do have another farm that's got a big group of sheep on it, but again, they're in one group. So each group has got, they're just one group of dogs. Okay. On this very podcast, we have had folks express frustration with aerial predators, even, um, you know, black-headed buzzards and others, um, to the extent where they just gave up on pasture lambing entirely, it didn't matter. They didn't feel like there was any number of dogs that could have solved their problem or the, the frequency of the dogs they were producing that actually paid attention to aerial predators was so small that they just couldn't produce enough of those kind of dogs. It was just kind of like a roll of the dice, whether any particular livestock guardian dog would pay attention to aerial predators or not. So what was it that you saw that made you think, you know, I think we can beat this buzzard problem just by adding more dogs. Uh, was it the, what were you, the behaviors you were seeing out of the dogs? Was it just a hunch? Um, what were you going on? It was just the behaviors. Like I said, when, when, when I'm up there watching the sheep and watching the dogs, um, anytime a buzzard flies over, even when we're not landing, like right now in the wintertime, if, if, a, if a hawk flies over and the dogs see it, they go crazy. Like they bark at everything. And, um, just watching them and they get exhausted during landing season, running from buzzard to buzzard because they, they, their drive and their instinct is so much to protect. They could be on top of one hill and see a buzzard land on the other hill. And they'll go all the way down that steep hill and all the way up the other side to chase that buzzard off just to go right back to where they came from. And they're just exhausted. They're dead at the end of the day. Um, they're just, they're tired and wore out, but that's, they love it. Like they, 
it's not like I'm asking them to do this and they're like, oh, I got to keep doing this. Like <laughs> they live for this and they're living their best life. Um, it's, it's like, it's like a hound dog, you know, or a hunting, like a rabbit dog, a beagle, you take a beagle and it just wants to run. That's what these dogs are. They just want to bark. They just want to protect. Um, so just, just watching them chase buzzards off of a, even a dead sheep, just watching them do it once. I was like, man, that was sweet. I need more dogs. Um, <laughs> it's just cool to see. Yeah. There's a dog guy for you. The solution is always more dogs. I, <laughs> yeah. I, I can get with that. So, um, do you, let, let's talk about the, the breed background of your dogs a little bit and where they came from. So, um, your website said Maremmas and Maremma crosses. Um, sure. Does that go all the way back to the first batch of sheep that arrived at your place? Or have you sought out, um, Maremmas as a breed you prefer or, you know, how do you end up at that mix? Um, I, I'm not a big breed guy, even with sheep. Um, like I mentioned, if I have a, a Katahdin or a St. Croix or a Dorper, as long as it raises an average lamb here, I'll keep it. I'm kind of the same way with dogs. Um, I don't think you can necessarily say, uh, in my opinion, a Pyrenees is better or worse than a Merima, which is better and worse than an Anatolian Shepherd or, or whatever breed you want to stick in there. Um, I think it has so much more to do with your management of the dog and how you train the dog than it does the, the breed. Um, I I've got, I, I know there's dogs that I could bring here and they're not necessarily guard dogs. Um, and we could work with them and get them to understand their job. And I don't care what breed they are. They would, they would do it. Uh, I mean, maybe not like a, you know, a little <laughs> house dog or something, but, um, I I've got friends that are trying it with German shepherds. And they're having great luck with it. And you, you don't you don't hear really hear of a of a German Shepherd being a livestock guardian dog, but um it's working for them and they've got that dog to understand what it what it needs to do. Um so our dogs, our Marimas, um our male came from Greg Judy. Um I'm sure a lot of people have heard of Greg. Um he's got a terrific set of dogs and some really good bloodlines. Um that dog was he told me it was uh 50% Marima a quarter Anatolian shepherd and a quarter Pyrenees. Um, but he's got a lot of black on him. So I'm a, I'm a little skeptical of the genetic makeup of him, but to me, that doesn't matter. All, all I care about is that he chased that he did a guard sheep. Um, and he has been from the day he got off the truck. I have not done a single thing to that dog. He just, he knows his job. He's always with the sheep. Um, I actually can't catch him. He's, he's a really shy to people. He'll come up to me and take a treat, but I can't pet him. Um, he's very serious about his job and yeah, he has a lot of black and white on him. So I think to be honest, um, I'm not sure of, of what technical breed he is or what cross he is. Um, but like I said, he, he guards sheep and that's all I care about. Um, and then the, our, our, our breeding female is a registered, um, full blood Marima. And I wasn't necessarily seeking out the Marima. Um, I, I talked to probably 30 different breeders and I just wanted to know what their operation was like. I wanted to know, um, how many, how many dogs do you have? How many sheep do you have? Are they coming in the barn every night? Um, just tell me about the system and the system I liked best was from a lady who had Marimas. That's the only reason okay. I chose them. Yeah. So we, we, we did end up with, I guess, a big Marima 
um, percentage, but it, it's not necessarily because I'm glued to the Merrimer breed. It's just the, the style that we ended up with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Excellent. And so, um, over the years, then this, uh, male dog has sired, um, some pups that I assume you are using on your farm. How have you noticed that they carry on the traits of the sire pretty well and their eyes are up and they're looking at aerial predators and they're just as serious about their jobs or, um, have you produced a, a variety of different temperaments with different skills and different abilities? We have, you know, every, every dog is different. Um, I think they will all work, um, to some degree, the, we we've had uh, the last year, we've had two litter of pups. Um, there's been one dog out of, uh, they each had seven. So there, there's 14 puppies. Um, there's been one dog that did not make it as a guard dog. It, it was just, um, it was just overly, um, it had a real passion or a real desire for human interaction. And no matter what we did with that dog, it just wanted to either come home or it wanted to go to the neighbors and it just wanted to be people. Um, and that doesn't work for what we're doing. Um, so that dog's now a pet. Um, we, we actually gave that dog away for free, um, to a lady who was looking for a dog. Um, it, I'm not going to ask a dog that doesn't want to be with our sheep and doesn't want to be out here to be out here. Um, and I don't want to force it. So that dog, we, we tried and tried and tried. And, and eventually it was, it was actually creating some bad habits in, other dogs because that dog would run back well then a couple of puppies would other puppies would follow it back um so we just we figured out who was the problem and pulled it out and then it, the problems went away um, what, what age was that dog when you discovered that or when you decided it's time to take action about this and and what were you seeing that made you think all right it's time to figure out which dog is the problem and deal with it yeah um this dog was um this was the last year i'm trying to get my make sure I have the right age. Um, she was probably four, five months. She's probably five months old. Um, probably, probably around 20 weeks. Yeah. Cause we, she'd been out for a couple months and done fine. It had no problems with her. And then, um, one night we got a call that, that she and two other puppies were, uh, across the highway over at the neighbors. And the thing that didn't help our cause was the neighbors fed them. And, ah. um, the dogs were like, Ooh, I'm going back here because they were given a meat scraps and everything else. And then, <laughs> and, and these dogs are, they're not dumb. Um, so the next day, just that dog was back. And so I was like, okay, that dog's coming home. We put her in a kennel. Um, we actually tried to correct her a couple of times. We, we put a drag on her and uh, took her back out and she was okay for, for two or three weeks. And then she'd run to a different neighbor and she wasn't, she just always wanted to be with people. It, it was, it, it was weird that it was just her. So, um, we ended up just, just deciding the amount of time I'm investing in this dog and it, it's just not efficient for us anymore. Um, you know, we don't have a ton of help. We're, we're pretty, um, uh, skin and bones around here as far as our operations. So we were putting too much time going to finding this dog and bringing it home. And, um, we actually ended up selling it to a sheep guy who had a really good woven wire fence and he lived in a really developed area. And, um, it, it was there for two or three months and um, it was doing okay. But again, it just wanted to be with people and mm. it would, it would run out to the sheep and then come back and play with his kids. And then it just, I, I've, I've tried enough with that dog and it was like, okay, this dog just isn't working. Yeah. So I'm not going to say every dog um, 
is going to be, you know, has a chance to make it. I should say that they all have a chance to make it, but for me, I'm going to, I'm going to keep the ones that work the best and use those down in the future. And, and the ones that are problems like that, it's just, it eliminates so many headaches, um, getting rid of a dog like that. And I'm not talking about like, just taking it to the pound Now we found a great home for it and it's, you know, it's going to get what it needs. Um, so the other dogs though, out of the other, there was 14 total. The other 13, um, are all either sold as guard dogs or we still have them here and they've, they've, they're doing great. Um, like you said, the, the, they're barking at dogs, just like their, you know, their sire was, um, Rio is, is the name of our male and he, his personality definitely came through. He's real, he's real, uh, wary of people and we can't catch the puppies. Like they're, mm. I shouldn't say we can't catch them. If we have meat scraps, we can catch them. But if you just go out there, they'll come up to you, but they won't let you catch them. So that, that shyness definitely came through, which I really appreciate in our dogs because, I don't like a guard dog that wants a ton of attention and that just, that just, I mean, I'll take a dog or like an older dog comes up to me. I'll rub its belly for a minute. And then I want it to go back to the sheep. I don't want it jumping on me. Um, I don't want it following back to the truck that that's where the puppies start following you. And it's just this endless cycle of potential problems. So I, I like a dog that's not overly, um, excited to see you when you get there and doesn't want a ton of rubs and doesn't want to jump all over you and lick your face. Um, I'm obviously super nice to the dogs, but I, they, I want them yeah. to understand their job and, and want to go back to the sheep, not want to go home with me. Right. A after you sold, figured out which dog was kind of leading the others away to the neighbors and you, and you found a home for that one. Did those other pups return to normal right away? Or did you have to, did you find about the neighbors again for a little while? Um, that, that set, we, we never had another problem. Once we got that dog out of there, mm. um, it was like a light bulb flip for the other ones. And, and I honestly think that that problem dog was getting out and the other pups were just following. So okay. we got rid of the, you know, the leader and we never had another problem with that set of puppies. Um, and, and I'm not saying that we ended up selling a lot of those pups and people that bought them are taking them to a new environment. And they had to work through things with them. You know, we're very isolated here. We don't have a lot of neighbors. Um, we don't have a lot of roads. We're very remote. And um, if you take that dog to the back of a plaza and are going to put it in 25 acres surrounded by restaurants and the neighbor's barbecue, and <laughs> it's, it's a, such a new world that um, you're going to have to work with a puppy. Mm -hmm. And we, we call a dog a puppy until they're two years old. Um, that's kind of the point that, all our problems go away and the light bulb goes off. Once, if we can get any of these dogs to two years old, that's when I call them bulletproof. Like they just, they, they understand their job and they do it to a T and, and some puppies we've never had a touch. Um, the last litter we had, we only had to touch that one dog. And then it, for the most part, it was pretty hands off. Um, we've had had some dogs, um, like to play with sheep and things like that and chew their ears or bite legs. And it's just them being puppies. Um, so I'm not saying dogs could be, you know, hundred percent bulletproof from the time they're born to the, to the two years old. But if you can get them to two years old, it's like a, to me, it's a milestone. And from there on out, I expect to have zero problems with those dogs. Mm -hmm. But the, the one that kept wandering away though, like you just said, like, this isn't worth it. Like, I mean, you could have gotten him to two years old to see if that clicked in. Right. But 
something in you told you that's not going to happen with this one. Yeah. You know, you're probably right. If I would have had more patience and more time, um, there's a good chance I probably could have. Um, but just from an efficiency point of view, it was a headache and, you know, I've got other things to get to and, and a family at home and I'm spending evenings missing dinner. Cause I got to catch this dog again. It was like, all right, um, enough's enough. Right. I probably caused you to re rethink yourself there. And that was not my intent. My intent was to make myself feel better because your story sounds so familiar to one I had with an Anatolian shepherd puppy, um, who was, you know, we, we thought we did everything right to get those, that litter bonded to animals. And we kept this one puppy from the litter and we didn't give it any undue attention, you know, a greeting when we came out to do chores and that's about it. And, uh, nonetheless, that dog, it just wanted to play with, she with sheep and goats, chew on a leg, chew on a leg here and there. It's, it's, it, it played too aggressively, you know, all the way up to the last day of its life and, or life with us. Sorry. Didn't mean to startle you. <laughs> um, and, um, if we gave it the chance, it would head toward any open gate trying to get to people so fast. It loved being around people. Unfortunately, we were able to find a pet home for it too. And I, you know, I, I think that was the best thing for it. I don't think everybody who has a livestock guardian dog washout is so lucky because, you know, generally they're not livestock guardian dog breeds aren't going to work well in a pet home either. Um, they're kind of without yeah, a place. You don't want them in your house. <laughs> yeah. So, it, so I'm left, uh, left with the same doubts. Like, well, what if I just tried a couple months longer with do that dog? What if, what if? And so, um, I, you know, I'm just reassured to hear your story because it is very much like mine. Do you attribute that dog's behavior to anything that you might've done or not done correctly? Um, or just as like a genetic anomaly out of that litter? Oh, I, I don't want to say that. I, I feel like I, if I would have spent the time, like you said, I really feel like I could have got that dog to come around. Um, and it would have eventually, once it kind of matured, it would have figured it out. Um, so I, I don't want to, I don't want to blame it's, it's genetics, if you will. Um, I would blame myself more than I would blame the dog. Um, I guess that's a kind of a hard question to answer. I, I don't know. Now I kind of wish I had it back just because I, <laughs> I feel like I, I feel like I can do it. I could prove myself now. But, yeah. Um, well, they're all individuals, right? And, and, yeah. you know, we can talk about breeds and we can talk about, um, matings and litters and how we'd like them all to have consistent, um, personalities and, and cons consistent traits and demeanors, but they're all individuals. So you're going to get, um, anomalies occasionally. And so I'm just curious to know, you know, again, just rethinking my situation, what did I do? wrong you know what could have i done differently to make that work out and, and i'm not sure that that's always the right question to ask but if there was something i could have done i certainly would want to know it and so um that kind of leads to my next question which is you know you say at two years they're pretty much bulletproof at two years does that mean that you are every single puppy that you produce you're still fussing with a little bit right up to month 19 20 and 21 
or is two years like the max and many of them settle in right around a year, 14 months? Yeah. It's like you said, everyone's different. Um, I, I, I've had, we've turned, um, last year we did this, we, we turned two puppies out, two female pups out at 10 weeks old. And we have never touched those dogs. Um, haven't done a single thing to them. They have, they have done everything we've asked them to do. They've always with the sheep. They're with our male, um, Rio. They're with him all the time. They're glued to him. I have never had to do anything with those dogs. Um, but I would still consider them, I guess when I say bulletproof, um, at two years old, I would mean, um, if I'm going to sell them to somebody as a trained dog and they're, they're going to rely on this dog two years old is where I want that dog to be at least two years old. Um, we sell a lot of dogs at a year and they've got a really, really good start. Um, they're, they're doing everything right. Um, but to me, they're still, they, they, they haven't quite proven themselves and, you know, they still might not always be with the sheep. They might be more interested in, um, the playing with each other or, or just not necessarily being effective yet. Um, some dogs will, um, I guess, and it goes back to the puppy that, that you asked me if I had waited for, waited for two years and had the patience to, to work with that dog. The, the thing that, that comes to mind is, am, is that dog going to be an effective protector of the sheep? And even if I would have worked with that dog, um, when she was with the sheep and when she was with the other dogs, she just didn't have that, that bark, that, that sense of what's going on around her and kind of that I'm here to protect whatever it is sense to her. I didn't have that feeling with her. So I guess I, maybe I gave up on that dog a little bit early, but to answer your question here, um, I think these, I think these dogs, when they, when they turn to, they just really get that. I'm that like dominance that I'm, I'm protective and I, and they, that like, it just clicks for them. So up until then, yeah, they bark at stuff and they're, but they're really, in my opinion, they're learning from older dogs and they're learning why, why are you barking at that, that sheep or that, or that, excuse me, that um, buzzard or that coyote. And, and they're kind of learning. Um, they're, they're really impressionable that first two years is, is a good way to describe it. And it, for the good or for the bad. Um, so once they're two, they're, they kind of have their own personalities. They get their, they get their, they understand their job and they do it on their own, regardless of what the other dogs are doing. I think for the first year, they're just kind of following the other dogs, learning, figuring out, um, figuring out where to be, what to do, where to sleep, when to be active, when not be active, um, that kind of thing. Sure. All right. So you you have like you said this last lambing season you know 17 dogs or something like that in one group of of ewes with their lambs and i can see a huge advantage to that what like you just pointed out which is every dog in that pack so to speak is watching every other dog work all the time and so and, and you have all the personalities mixed together so like if you've got a few dogs that chase buzzards you're very likely over generations to keep producing dogs that are going to chase buzzards, um, partly because it's in their genetics, but also because they're in the same pasture with buzzard chasing dogs, right? So that's that's a super a super great thing. Um, but do you are you more likely to have conflicts between dogs with that big of a group, uh, just in the natural order of a dog pack? And what do you, and, and how do you handle that? 
Absolutely. Um, these dogs definitely have a pecking order. Um, there's definitely an alpha female. Uh, we actually see it more in the females than we do in the males and that they fight. I mean, there's just no, that many dogs, there's no way around it in my opinion. Um, especially mm. by the dog feeder and especially if we take meat scraps or, or a deer carcass or something out, um, they know who eats first. And we've had dogs get tore up. Um, we have separated dogs that, that there's, in particular, there's two female dogs that I cannot put together. Um, I thought they were going to kill each other last year. Luckily, we got there in enough time and we separated them. But um, the one she she had to get stitches, she was all tore up, blood all over. Um, and it was from the dogs. It wasn't from a coyote or anything. They just those personalities just absolutely or clashed. And it was actually surprising because it wasn't the alpha female. Like we have a, an old uh, our oldest female, Dixie. She is size-wise she's our biggest dog and she dominates her and rio our biggest male and our biggest female dominate everybody else and then after that um it's almost like they were fighting to be second in line mm. and those two dogs just butt heads and we, we let it go we tried to let them work through it um for about a month and then it was just they were getting tore up i mean ripped ears and and walking on three legs and vet bills were getting expensive. I just said, okay, we're just going to split these dogs. At the time we only had one group of sheep. Um, so we actually just pulled one out for a while, let her kind of heal up. And then, um, before we turned her back out, we had another group of sheep for her to go into. Um, so yeah, there's definitely, I think something that really helped us is, um, having them together when our puppies, um, we have like right now we have a litter of seven pups out. Um, obviously they're litter mates and they're going to grow up together and, and they are already set in that dominance order. But usually what we've seen is they set it and kind of, it doesn't get challenged for a long time and they're familiar with each other enough. They were, I mean, they were born together. They're, they're raised their entire lives together with the sheep and, and all that kind of stuff. So they, they're familiar enough with each other that they don't try to challenge it so much and, and they get along pretty well. Um, we have a bigger problem if we go buy a new breeding female and bring her in and she's new and she doesn't quite know where she stands. The other dogs don't know where she's at. Um, right. And they got to just sort it out. I mean, it's the only way in my opinion to do it. Um, if you try to avoid every fight, you couldn't, you couldn't have multiple dogs. They're going to fight. Um, and for the most part, we just let them go. I mean, don't, it's not really going to jump in there and, and separate them most of the time. I mean, they go at it, they go at it and, but it's usually just, you know, it's five minutes of them beating up on and, you know, one dog wins and one dog loses and they walk away. And um, the, the only thing I've done um, certain times is if we see a lot of fighting, we'll, we'll add two or even three dog feeders because sometimes that dominant female will go stand by the dog feeder and she won't let other dogs eat. That's probably been the only real problem we've had from it. Okay. Okay. And on a related note, then, do you find with that many dogs in one pasture that you have some personalities out there that are um, corrective of young dogs? So if there's a young dog chewing on the ear of you or uh, chasing animals around, do you, do you ever, are there any individuals who are the, the bosses who run in there and correct that kind of behavior? Absolutely. Um, I saw it this spring. One of our, uh, she would have been about four or five months old puppies had caught a lamb and, um, our oldest dog, Dixie, uh, the female 
she come up and rolled that puppy and like I had to go get the puppy out from under. Luckily I was there and I'm sure this stuff happens when I'm not there, mm-hmm. but it just happened to be there. It happened right in front of the four wheeler and she went up and just smoked that puppy and the lamb ran off. The lamb was fine. And, um, it, it was really, really cool for me to see. Cause she, she is in my mind training those puppies. Like this is not okay. You do not chase lambs. And she put her in her place. And I, I was like, super excited the day i mean my mouth was like my hands were sweating i was like this is the coolest <laughs> thing i've ever seen because she is exactly what i need so we we always try to put our puppies with that dog because i'm sure other dogs do it i just happen to see that that time but yeah absolutely yeah i mean just just think of how at first i'm sure to some people who are new to livestock gardening dogs that seems really violent and you know they might want to avoid that conflict but to me, it sounds like, like that's a huge money and time saver for me. Like there are other dogs out there monitoring that and reinforcing the behavior we want. And it doesn't have to be me doing it. Um, one of, I have a, a puppy that I bought, um, last summer and she's great, but she's kind of in this adolescence right now. And so I, I got to keep on her all the time. And every time I I go correct her about something, I think, well, that's great for now, but there's 23 other hours in this day and what is happening, you know, and if, if I had a dog like that, you know, a mature dog like that, that could um, make the corrections for me, like that, that dog would be worth $10,000 to me. Um, In fact, I have a very good mature Maremma male who I thought would be that kind of corrective presence for my puppy. And he actually tends to defend the puppy a little bit. So the puppy will, you know, get a little too playful with a goat. The goat will turn and lower its head to defend itself and teach the puppy a lesson. But now the, the big dog steps in to defend the puppy. And it took me a while to catch on to this because by the time I would get outside to see what was going on, um, it looked to me like the two dogs had the one goat cornered. And I, I thought, oh my gosh, now my puppy's a problem and my rock solid dog is a problem. And after a while, I figured out what was really going on. I, I caught a little bit of the end of the interaction and it was just the big dog coming over to defend the puppy. Um, I'd much rather have it the other way around, you know, where the big dog is is correcting the pup. But um maybe that's the next dog we get will turn out that way. So yeah, that's go ahead. Oh, well, what I was going to say is, uh, I think for me, I would back up in that situation and say, why is that puppy trying to play with the sheep or, or goats? And these dogs need work. Um, if they're bored, they are troublemakers. Um, I actually don't recommend livestock guardian dogs for people who have really small acreages because these dogs need, they, they just need work. I mean, it's like a border collie. You keep a border collie penned up. It's going to chew everything. It, you got to work a border collie. Mm-hmm. Um, these dogs are the same way. And when, when we have a dog that is actually out chasing buzzards and, and there's actually coyotes in the area and it's working and it's marking, it's marking the perimeters and it's barking all night long. Those dogs are so tired and they're doing their work. They're, they're content and we don't have problems with them. Um, it's when, it's when I see, um, and, and I'm very guilty of this when we have a smaller group of sheep and there's no predator threats 
and we have two, two little puppies out there by themselves, they just get bored. Um, they just need something fun. They need excitement. Um, they're growing their puppies. They just need work. And, and we've had a lot better luck when we, when we split puppies up sometimes if, if there are problems like that, but, um, when the dogs, like, I guess here's a good example of what I'm trying to say. I have a lot of puppies that I will sell here off our farm that have never been a problem. They've, they've I've literally turned them out 10 weeks old and I've had zero problems with them. They're not chasing sheep. They're not biting ears. They're eating out of dog feeders. Um, they're not running to the neighbors and I sell them. And the people call me, man, you sold me a dog that just wants to run and he's, he's biting sheep. And I'm not saying my dogs are perfect, but a dog who understands what it's supposed to do and has work in front of it should not be doing any of that. And I've don't get me wrong. I've had puppies bite ears and, and bite legs and things like that. But the, the way we have avoided it was putting it in with an older dog when we just put puppies by themselves. And, and again, up to two years old. Um, they, they don't fully understand all that there is in their job and like the whole marking perimeters and running fence lines and barking all night long, the older dogs get that. So when these puppies see that and learn like their whole responsibility, it keeps them occupied. It really does. And now they're no longer have to get their energy out from a sheep because that's just what's a in front of them they just want to get the energy out and play and they're excited and everything's you know everywhere they go it's literally a little puppy and everything's new and they're they get into trouble and if you can keep them busy with work i think they do much much better that's a fascinating point and something you know for me to consider so in in our operation it's primarily meat goats um we're actually adding hair sheep uh this spring um meat goats are just I know there are people who outwinter their meat goats on pasture, but th th that's a real challenge with goats. Goats are just a little bit fragile. They don't sure. dig through snow to get to grass. Um, you know, all, all, all sorts of challenges. They tend to crowd around any kind of shelter there is and not want to venture very far. So uh, we, we graze our goats out on what pasture we have access to and crop residue until we absolutely can't anymore and winter really sets in and then we're bringing our goats into a dry lot situation so we've got this hybrid thing where we definitely need guardian dogs on some of our grazing season pastures but then things are probably getting pretty boring for our, our guardian dogs yep. at home through much of the winter yeah that that totally makes sense and it's tough because what do you do i mean you need dogs in the growing season um but you don't really have work for them in the wintertime. So then I could definitely see some of those problems coming out. Right. Yeah. Especially in puppies. Sure. Sure. Um, so you mentioned that you sell some dogs at around one year old. You sell some dogs that are, you would sell as like finished or fully trained at two years. And uh, do you also sell some as puppies? And how do you, how does that break down age wise, like percentage wise, how many do you sell as pups versus one year olds versus two year olds? Um, yeah, that's, that's a good question. We, we, first of all, fill our needs here. I don't like to be in the puppy business. Um, I don't like to just have a breeding dog and just do nothing but breeder. Um, but we've seen a real need for good dogs. So we usually have just one litter a year. Um, especially per dog. If we have two females, we might breed them both in the same year. And then, um, it just depends on our demand and, and what our customers want. If, if I've got people who want to try to train a puppy, 
Um, absolutely. That I'll sell them a puppy at 10 weeks old. Um, I don't necessarily recommend that unless you have an older dog to put it with, um, then it's a great thing. It'll learn your system. And that's, that's a great way to do it. Um, and then we'll sell a lot of dogs, um, when we sell sheep, which is typically like, we'll sell you lambs in the fall and we'll sell like a starter package. We'll sell somebody, you know, 30 sheep and a dog. Um, mm. and that's just kind of depends on when the dog was born, but they typically end up being, um, eight to 12 months old. And, and they've got a like, really good start on them at that point. Um, and then the finished dogs, um, I struggle to sell. <laughs> I, I have a good demand for them. I struggle personally to, to sell them because <laughs> they're so good. And I've, I've gotten them to that point where they understand it and they just, I don't have problems with predators when I have them. So they're, I, I price them pretty high because to me, they're worth they're worth a lot. Like that, that dog, I told you that was correct in the puppy. Um, I don't think <laughs> I shouldn't say money couldn't buy that dog, but you're right. I mean, that's a, that's an $8,000 dog. There, it's just, it's worth that to me. You know, when you, when you start thinking about how many lambs she saves over this, you know, lambing season, um, she's an expensive dog. Um, now they're not all my finished dogs are that expensive, but, um, it, it's kind of hard to put a, to explain to somebody how valuable a good finished dog is. Um, so yeah, they get expensive. I don't actually sell a whole lot of, of most of our dogs have sold before they got to that point. So I don't have rations. I don't have, I haven't sold a lot of finished dogs yet. Right. Well, to any of our listeners who, um, have not listened to the last couple of episodes, like take a listen to those where we talk about the economics of livestock guardian dogs and come back and tell me that, Austin raising your puppy for two years and turning it into a solid livestock guardian dog is not worth a ton of money. Like, I, you know, you don't really want to, and you don't sell a lot of those dogs because as you said, now that I put that investment into them, like they're so valuable here. Like I can always use another dog like that. So you don't have a lot of those to sell, but by the same token, my advice to many of our listeners or anybody who called me asking for livestock guardian dog advice, I would say, go to a guy like Austin at the day you start thinking about buying sheep and goats and tell Austin, I want you to get a puppy out of the next litter and keep him for me for two years. And I'll come and get him in two years because like you get to skip all that. And you get to skip that teenager phase. You get to skip all those problems. Um, and I'm Austin, you seem like an honest guy. You're not going to sell two years later. You're not going to sell a, a dog to somebody who, who you don't think is, that you don't think is going to work out. So man, that's worth a lot of money and it seems like a pretty good path, but I also totally understand like, how do you let one of those go when you know it's a good worker? Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's, what's hard to explain to people sometimes when they're a lot of people that we work with are they're new to sheep and they're already spending good money the last couple of years sheep markets have been up and and it's like well i just bought all these sheep and i'm gonna try to find a cheap dog to go with it and i just i shake my head or i'll tell somebody a price and they say whoa holy cow that's you're crazy and they say i'm gonna get one for my neighbor and he's not really a sheep dog but i think it'll work and i just mm. i just cringe because i know the headaches that are coming for them um, so yeah, I, I agree. And I'm not trying to sell my dogs. I've, I've, I've got a waiting list for dogs. Um, selling dogs is not a problem. It's, it's selling good dogs is not a problem. Um, but most people, especially new people getting into sheep don't understand 
the value, like you said, of, of a good finished dog who gets it. Mm -hmm. And there's the obvious value of saving lambs and getting more lambs to market, but there's also like a livestock guardian dog can either be a giant time and cost saver, or it can be a giant suck on your time and a big cost. Um, if you're constantly having to deal with problems with the dog. So absolutely. Um, now you said you don't sell a lot as two-year-olds, but when you do, do you have any concerns about them bonding to somebody else's livestock? And what advice do you give the buyer of that dog to make that transition? Sure. Um, the only dogs that I would sell would be going to an operation who is um, either sheep or goats. Um, I've had a lot of people ask me about um, like raising pastured poultry. Can they buy a dog for me? And I just tell them no. That's it's not what my dogs are for. Um, would they work? I you'd have to work with them, but I love when they chase birds. Like I want dogs that chase buzzards and I've trained them. I shouldn't say I've trained them. They have that instinct in them. Um, I don't really want to try to get that out of them. Um, so if I'm selling a trained dog, it's got to go to somebody with who's got sheep or goats first. And then, um, I'm a little bit picky about where I would send a, a trained dog, um, just for the dog's point of view. Um, and, and this isn't a, I don't want to be negative towards small operations. We, we need small operations, but, um, if, if I get a dog who's used to running on 2000 acres and I send him to somebody who, who's on five acres, um, that dog is going to go, he's going to feel like he's in a pen. Um, so I, I want somebody to, to take a dog who is a working dog and keep it a working dog and not, not have it become a pet. Um, so I'm a little bit picky about where I send them. I'm picky about where I send all my dogs. Um, I, I want them to go to good working places where they can, in my opinion, live their best life. Um, but yeah, a, a, a trained dog is just, they're so valuable and I want to make sure the, first of all, the, the guy buying it is going to get value out of it. Um, and it's going to work in his environment. Um, if somebody wants to take a, a puppy to a, a new environment that I don't, is, is really different from us. Uh, I think they're way better off to do it as a puppy because that puppy will grow up in that and kind of become acclimated to it. Um, taking a dog from our place to, um, something crazy new to it, it it's going to be a whirlwind for it. Um, and, and they can come through that. It's just, um, it's not what they're used to. Sometimes a puppy is easier in that stage. Um, so yeah, all these dogs will work if you can spend the time with them. They're super intelligent. Um, if you can get them to understand what they're supposed to do and let them do it, um, they're, man, they're awesome. And just not even from a, an economic point of view, but to me, there's nothing better than seeing a dog who loves to do its job and loves to be out. You know, people ask us all the time, do you feel bad for your dogs or do they come in the barn when it's, you know, Christmas here, it was 25 below zero and snowing sideways. And I'm like, well, no, the sheep are out. You know, that's, that's when I need the dogs the most and seeing the dogs out and in that, and just they're, they're fine. They're built for this weather and, and doing what they love to me, that that's why we have dogs and, and obviously to protect the sheep too, but to, to ask a dog to do what it wants to do and see it thrive. It's just, it's a really cool thing to me. Yeah, absolutely. And on that, on that note, it's a good time for me to ask. I do think I saw a herding dog on your website somewhere, a stock dog. Um, tell us about that. How many do you use stock dogs daily and uh, what breed do you have? And tell us about them. Sure. Um, we do, we have, we have border collies um, in this steep country. 
moving sheep from field to field, um, which we do about once a week, especially in, in a big group, um, is really, it's a lot of work. And you can't always get four-wheelers when you need to get them. Um, dirt bikes would actually be better for us than four-wheelers sometimes because it's just, it's so steep. It's hard to go across hillsides on a four-wheeler. And we just, we ended up just having to buy a dog because we didn't have the help. And we, the only thing I really needed to do was, was get sheep moved. Um, that's the labor I needed. So one dog, um, we bought a retired, um, trial dog who was, uh, he was used on a ranch and then he also trialed and he was eight years old. He was fully trained when I got him. Um, I didn't want to, I wanted to learn a dog before I tried to train him. So mm -hmm. I just bought one that was fully trained, ready to go. And, um, it was, it was the funnest thing we've done. We have a blast with the border collies. Um, they are such a big help. Um, moving sheep and, and working sheep and pens and and sorting lambs, things like that. They're just they're awesome. So yeah, we do have we only have three dogs right now. Um, we use them not every day, but almost every day in, in one place or another, and they're just a huge asset to us. Mm -hmm. And and maybe I missed this, but um, have you raised one and trained one from a puppy yourself yet? I do. I have a pup right now. Um, she's six months old and I take her with me every chance I can. I, I'm a little picky, but when I take her, if I can take her older dogs too, and it's a pretty easy move, I'll, I'll take her. And I don't, I don't give her, she's not on any commands or anything. I just, I just let her run with all the other dogs. And, and she's just got that, that border collie look. Like she's got that, she'll get real low and look at, you know, lay down and, and you don't have to tell her to do anything. She's just got it. So I take it with me right now and just let her get some energy out and, kind of get used to what we're doing. And, um, but here before long, I want to start training her. Exciting. You're going to do it all by yourself. You're going to hire some help, um, take her to a trainer. What do you think? Um, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I haven't decided yet. The, the thing I really need, or I should say all I really need on, on a border collie is, um, a left and a right and a way to come by and a stop. Um, we don't do like, the the dog we got up from a, that was a retired trial dog is is a way better dog than I need. Like he can do all kinds of look backs and you know everything you need to do in a, in a trial. Um, I don't need that. I just need a sheep to drive. We, we do almost all of our sheep moves moves from the back. We drive almost everything. Mm -hmm. I just need a dog that goes left and right, and I can pull off the sheep. Um, so I think that would be pretty easy to train. Um, and we do it almost every day. So I think this dog will catch on pretty quick. Um, she's already got a really good start on her, um, just natural, like just following the other dogs and kind of seeing where she needs to be kind of a thing. So I, I think I'm going to try it myself, just the basics. And then if I need a little help, maybe I'll, maybe I'll call somebody. <laughs> Excellent. That's really exciting. Um, so you do some train, speaking of trainers, you do a bunch of training yourself. You offer, um, courses, uh, on your website or through your website, um, the, the business of ranching and, um, some sheep specific ones. And also I think there was a livestock guardian dog course. So tell us a little bit about your, your education program, how you came to be involved in that, um, and how that's going for you. Yeah. Um, we, we only have two courses right now. We just started it last year. Um, it's called the cross crossroads Academy. Um, we call it the, the tagline is it's the school of business and ranching. And uh, we want to come out with some economic classes as well. But um, for right now, there's a there's a, a livestock guardian dog course, and um, there's a 
a working corral system for the sheep. Um, th those were probably the two biggest hurdles for us to figuring out the sheep um, logistics and, and the production. We, we couldn't, I'm used to working cows and working sheep is so much different than working cows. So how, I didn't know how to work sheep. Um, like I had no clue and it was very, very frustrating. And so we did, we did a lot of looking around. We went and visited a lot of producers and said, Hey, can I, I literally went and I said, Hey, can I come work sheep for you for free? I just want to learn what your corral looks like. And I uh, did that to three or four places and then um, found what we thought was the best one. And it's just a simple bud box system. Um, we, we, we take in the course, we fly a drone over ourselves, kind of moving some sheep around and through it and explain why we're doing what we're doing. Um, so that's the first one. And then the second one is it's the basics of our livestock guardian dog. It's we actually, anybody who buys a puppy from us, will get the course for free. And it's just, it was kind of my, my way of helping people and helping them, giving the dogs the best chance at being effective. And it just goes to the basics of what to expect out of a puppy, where to get your dogs. Um, we go over some supplies that they should, should and should not have, um, what to do with them when you bring them home and how to, how to resolve problems. Like, like you've, we've probably both experienced, you know, dogs chewing on sheep and things like that, how to correct that, how to stop that, um, three or four different ways to do it. And, um, just what, what to expect and, and any problem that comes up, I shouldn't say any problem. I'm sure there's a problem that hasn't come up for me that will come up for somebody else, but the, for all the problems that we've come up, is just like how to, what we've done to address it. And just kind of the basics, a lot of people who, who we talk to are just, they're brand new to this, even brand new to farming. And they, they don't have a good expectation of what these dogs should, what this whole thing should look like. And it, the course kind of just fills them in on all that. Excellent. So we're getting close to wrapping up our time here. And we have this thing I like to try to remember to do, which is to ask our guests if they have a favorite farm dog or a favorite farm dog story that they'd like to tell us about. So what do you think? You got a favorite farm I, dog you'd like to name? Yes, absolutely. I already know. Um, our, our male Rio, um, the first year we got our sheep and we got, got him, he was, he was nine months old. And, um, I was trying to keep him friendly and he was so shy. I couldn't catch him to give him, you know, any vaccines or wormers or, or flea and tick medicine. And I was trying to get him more friendly. So in the winter time, um, we were feeding him meat scraps and every day I'd go out, which just, it wasn't a whole lot. It was, you know, uh, a bone here or, you know, something from the butcher or something from a deer carcass or something like that. And, uh, the one day I went out and I could not find him. And I, I saw him when I went from a distance. And when I got up to the sheep, I couldn't find him. And two minutes later, he comes out of the out of the brush. He he drug, it was just the tail of a coyote. And he drags <laughs> this tail out to me and sets it right in front of me, like, hey, look what I did. And then he wanted his treat. And I had never found the rest of the coyote. Um, I have no idea if he killed it or what I, my guess is he just ripped it off, but I just thought it was the coolest thing that he actually brought a coyote tail to me, um, which made me, I mean, it was just over the moon excited about for him, you know, he's doing what he needs to do. And it was really cool. That's excellent. Fantastic story about Rio. Um, as we're headed out the door here, first of all, thank you so much for being willing to do this. Is there anything you'd like to promote, a website, social media channels? How can people learn more about you and follow what you're doing? 
Sure. Um, I, I just like to say I, I'm a, I don't consider myself an expert. Um, I'm happy to help people in any way I can. Um, we have a lot to learn ourselves. Um, and if there's something I can do to, to make life easier for somebody, please feel free to reach out. Um, but yeah, you can you can follow us on on Instagram at Crossroads Land and Livestock. And that's also our website, um, crossroadslandandlivestock.com. And uh, my email's on there. You can email me anytime. I'm happy to help people with whatever I can. And uh, I'll share everything I do know and everything I um, have learned or learned the hard way. Um, but again, I, I'm uh, I'm still learning myself and I don't ever want to come across as an expert or, or a guy who claims to know it all. Um, we do the best we can and we're happy to help where we can. That's great, Austin. Thanks again so much for your time today. I really enjoyed talking to you. Have a have Absolutely. a great rest of your evening. Thank you. Thanks for the chance to come on. I appreciate it. You bet. Take care. Thanks for listening to Farm Dog. If you enjoyed this episode or any of the other episodes, please subscribe, leave us a positive review, and tell someone about it. Thanks. <laughs>